Hello and welcome to the Dive Deep, Climb High podcast. I'm Mel Luizu and together with my guests, we explore all different aspects of leadership in higher education. With inspiring stories, practical tips and a little bit of fishiness, this show will help you dive deep into the leader you are and climb high, unleashing your power and potential. Dive deep, climb high, can-do leadership in a world of can't. Before we get started, have you ever wondered what it would be like to work with a coach on a one-to-one basis? As a master NLP business coach, I work with a variety of people, helping them to articulate and achieve their goals. Research shows that working with a coach is one of the most effective ways to improve your performance at work. Interested? Then why not book in a chat with me using the Calendly link in the show notes. Together, we will dive deep and climb high. Today, as we're approaching the end of season two, I'm very aware that these final few episodes will be going out in August, which is typically a very quiet time of the year for many businesses, as lots of people are on holiday. However, for those of us working in higher education, it can be the exact opposite, a very busy time, often stressful, as we gear up for students returning. And this year, even more so after two years of COVID. Therefore, I wanted to dedicate these final couple of guest episodes to helping people who find themselves in these busy and stressful situations. So often when we're really busy and at times of stress, we can forget to look after ourselves. For me, I know that the first thing that happens is I start to eat really badly. I no longer find the time to cook healthily even though I know the impact that it has. I start to lose focus. My sleep isn't as good as it usually is. And I genuinely start to feel really miserable. And so today we're going to focus on those bad habits and what can happen if we don't nip them in the bud. My guest has done his fair share of overindulgence. Strictly speaking, He's drunk more than his fair share of red wine and eaten more than his fair share of cake. But he's cleaned up his act. And so today we're going to dive deep into his story and how his experience might help you. He's a speaker and he's an author. And I've heard him speak on a number of different occasions. So I know this conversation is going to be honest funny and heartwarming. I cannot wait for us to dive in. So without further ado, please welcome Duncan Baskaran Brown. Hi, Duncan. Hello, thank you for having me. I'm really excited. I'm really excited for you to be here. Really excited. So I guess a good place to start would be for you to share a little bit about your story and how you've ended up doing the work that you do, which is now helping people deal with addiction, bad habits, overindulgence. 
Yeah, so as you sort of hinted at in the introduction, I uh, used to be rather fond of a glass or two of red wine. And of course, by a glass or two, I mean a bottle or two. And I used to have kind of diet to match, shall we say, you know, like uh, KFC was a midnight snack, that kind of thing. A lot of cheese. Um, when I was much younger, I started off with chocolate because, you know, that's a socially acceptable drug for a nine year old, isn't it? So, uh, yeah, I started off with that. And um, as with with everything, it, you know, it starts off small, but gradually over the years, it gets gets bigger and bigger and bigger got to the point where I thought I really do need to do something about this. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a very lucky guy. I've got a beautiful wife. Um, I've got a great family and, and a lot of good friends. I had a, a lot of support around me that helped me um, get away from that overindulgence and move towards the kind of the joy and the peace and the strength and the vitality and the rude health and the vigor and all of the good stuff. So could you share with us how things deteriorated from when you were that nine-year-old boy indulging on, on chocolate? What were the causes of that and what happened? Yeah, I'm, there's always a myriad of causes of things and you can, you can go into them on so many different levels, can't you? But I think, you know, as, as you said right at the start, stress plays a, a massive part in it. I... Um, I didn't think that school was necessarily designed for somebody like me, shall we say. I didn't really didn't really get on with school. And these days I'm starting to wonder that maybe the purpose of uh, school is to make employees. And as I'm functionally unemployable, that was maybe that was the reason <laughs> why I didn't get on. I don't know. I mean, I'm dyslexic, so uh, I, I struggled with a lot of the stuff that they expect you to find easy. And. I think the teachers at the time did not have anywhere near the understanding or the attitude towards things like that. So I found it, I found it very hard. Um, my parents had expectations of my academic success and I wasn't able to meet them. And you know, that that's all just stress, isn't it? So I, I started, well, I wouldn't have called it that at the time, but I started comfort eating basically. And then when I got a little bit older, I discovered alcohol, realized that that cut the proverbial mustard a little bit stronger. And it, it kind of, it, it built from there. And you know what, one of the things that I think is really interesting about it is what caused it, that initial bit at the start, you know, that's long, long gone, that's in the past, you know, so maybe I started drinking because I had problems, but by the end of it, I had problems because I was drinking. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. And so was there a trigger moment when you sort of something, did something happen that sort of brought you up short and it was like, right, this is an issue now. I need yeah. to, I need to change. The 5 a.m. staring in the bathroom mirror moment. Darn, why didn't that happen? You know, <laughs> I, I mean, partly I think that that kind of stuff, it, it looks well in memoirs and, uh, you know, you know, books and things like that. But is that really what happens? Because for me, it was a, a transition. So, you know, it, it, for, for me, it happened over a few years. I I met a beautiful woman. She was, uh, you know, amazing. I mean, she was a bit weird and everything. You know, she uh, didn't really drink too much, didn't smoke. Uh, actually had chickpeas. I mean, honestly. <laughs> but she was obviously a fairly good influence on me. And she was, she did exactly the right thing. She never kind of like said, you've got to do this or she's never aggressive about it. She's just very gentle, just showed me that there, there is another way to live. 
that sort of got me on the uh, on the road to being better. So I stopped smoking. And as a result of that, a, a lot of stuff just changed anyway. That kind of changed the way I looked at the world. It changed the way I felt about certain things. And that kind of helped when um, it got to the point where my wife and I were trying to have have a kid and um, she'd had a couple of miscarriages and it was, you know, it was incredibly hard. And I didn't really know how to deal with it because they sort of say when you're drinking, you, 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 you never grow, you never develop. So um, I probably had the emotional capability of about a 12 year old at that point. Um, so I, I didn't know how to help and support her through that. So we just ended up arguing. I ended up drinking more. It, it got even worse. And it kind of got to a head where it's like, OK, it was never consciously formed in my mind. Somewhere in the back of my mind was that question. What do you want from life? Do you want another drink or do you want a child? And the good news is I picked the, re- the, the correct one. <laughs> and I have a beautiful uh, six-year-old who is absolutely a, a joy to behold and is worth every moment of it. And, uh, you know, just after she was born, my wife got a little bit ill and that put a whole load of stress back on me again. And then I started, um, my diet really, really slipped. It happens quite a lot with people. You know, you, you stop doing one thing and you think, oh, right, well, I don't drink anymore. That means I can eat as much ice cream as I want. So the diet got a little bit um, out of hand and uh, yeah, I got to the point where I was clearly eating the way I used to drink. You know, the behaviours were exactly like worryingly similar. So uh, had a, had another kind of uh, another big moment there and um, sorted out my diet, went half a vegan leather substitute into a whole food plant-based lifestyle, lost, you know, three stone, uh, feel amazing, you know, all of the good stuff. And you look amazing. I know people can't see this because it's a podcast, but you do. You look amazing. Thank so, you, thank um, you. <laughs> that is brilliant. So now, obviously, your work is is helping people that are in similar situations to you. So, you know, if if there are people that are out there that are listening that can relate to some of what you're saying they they may not be along the scale but they know that you know there are things that they are doing that are really unhelpful what would you suggest they do so just acknowledging it you know that is a massive first step that is always the important thing and if you if you can just start to realize that there there might be something awry, then you have definitely taken a very important forward step. And I think it's really important to acknowledge that and definitely, uh, you know, worth realizing how important that can be. Because if you haven't even realized it's a problem, you definitely aren't going to do anything about it. And then method that I sort of work through with people is about understanding a little bit more about how your mind works so there's kind of two parts to your mind there's like the the older less evolved bit the bit that's all about sex and booze and mcdonald's you know that's the bit that's going to make suggestion that's the bit that's going to whisper in your ear late at night you deserve a glass of wine why not eat the entire tub of ice cream that voice. You're familiar with that, I'm thinking. So you've got to kind of accept that you've got that part of your brain, but you've also got another part, which is the more evolved bit, the newer bit. That's the bit that actually makes the decisions. And, and that bit is you. You know, that, that little voice that's making the suggestions, that's not you. 
you're the one that's making the decisions. So if you can kind of uh, accept that and listen out for that voice, then the next thing to do is to give that little voice a name. Now, I called mine. Actually, I'm not going to I'm not going to tell anybody. You'll have to read the book to find out all about it. But I gave mine a name. And I think if you give it a name, you know, it doesn't have to be male, doesn't have to be female, doesn't even have to be human. You know, use your imaginations, go wild. I met a Geraldine the other day. It's like, where did that come from? Not quite sure. And, you know, so you give it a name because that way you're, you're really clear that that's who's making the suggestions. You're the one making the decisions. They're the one making the suggestions. And then finally, we work around ways of kind of answering those suggestions one of the most powerful ways is to come up with a question could be as simple as how's that going to help or you could make it a little bit more um, bespoke you could make it about what's most important in your life so for me at one time you know it would have been how's that going to help me become a a father you know uh, for some of the people in your audience they might be you know thinking how's that going to help me become the best uh, you know lecturer or academic that i want to be or you know that it could be around their job it could be around you know family relationships money whatever there's loads of kind of things there but just come up with a question so that uh, you you know what you're going to say so accept that you've got those two parts of of your brain identify that you've got that voice give it a name and then come up with a question to ask it. And that'll help you just manage the thought process around it. Fantastic. I love that. So identify it, give it a name, ask a question. Yeah. Three key steps. Brilliant. So I know that when we we did a pre-call and it was quite some time ago now, but it it really stuck in my mind because it really resonated with me. And this is a podcast about leadership. So there are two sides to this. There is as a leader, you could be developing bad habits that become potentially addictive behaviours. But it's also thinking about how we can encourage or sometimes we encourage as leaders these addictive behaviours, because when we want to celebrate something, what is it we typically do? <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, I'm, I mean, just I, I was talking about this to somebody yesterday and they, they were just at the point where they they couldn't really see celebration without alcohol because that's what the world has taught us. It has taught us that to celebrate anything, you need alcohol and preferably sugar, you know? And it's something that I see an awful lot of. I I see it a lot in the NHS and it's like, you people really should know better, but you know, you want to reward the team. What do you do? You buy them donuts. That's not a reward. In my opinion, that's a punishment. (laughs) You know, that's, that's not, like something to celebrate that's something that actually makes you feel less good and makes you less good at your job so why would you do that in fact I quite often will buy people you know a nice box with fruit and vegetables in and things like that and I I often get a lot of people being really really surprised by that and I think that's probably something that's a bit sad isn't it that that buying people fruit to celebrate stuff is the exception and it should really be the rule because you know I don't buy people chocolate or wine in the same way that I wouldn't buy them cigarettes or cocaine it's such an interesting point and it it really made me reflect on how I was as a leader we didn't necessarily go down the pub but it was always sugar-based yeah yeah I mean thankfully that that 
that kind of liquid lunch thing has uh, seemed to drop away. Although not in all industries, there are there are quite a few industries where alcohol and work are still totally tied up. And of course, um, I think it's improved an awful lot. But you know, it, it's it's a, still tied up very much with the student experience, isn't it? But yeah, yeah. But the sugar thing, <laughs> yeah, that that's that's massive. You know, I just see it all of the time everywhere I go. You know, you're out, you're celebrating, particularly because you know people like us, we we go to conferences quite a lot, and for people, it's like, oh, let's celebrate, let's um, you know, just eat a load of junk and uh, get completely and utterly wasted in the bar later. Yeah, that's why you never want to talk on the uh, morning of the second day of the conference, do you? <laughs> They call the, the lunchtime shift after lunch, the graveyard shift. But I think after the conference dinner, the morning after the conference dinner, forget it. Yeah. But <laughs> you see, the thing is, I, I mean, I, I eat what most people would regard as a, a fairly extreme diet. You know, I, I only eat beans, pulses, whole grains, fruit and vegetables. That That is, I mean, not all of the time. I, I'm not. I'm not totally perfect and esteemious but for the vast majority of the time that's what I eat just whole food as close to nature as it, it can get you know I, I mean I'll cook rice and stuff but yeah and the thing is when I eat I don't feel tired afterwards I, I feel the opposite I feel energized because that's what food's supposed to do yeah you're not supposed to have a dip after lunch that is the biggest sign that what you are eating is not doing you any good at all you are supposed to get up from lunch and feel energetic and want to get on with the day. Exactly. And that's a really interesting point, isn't it? Because managers, leaders often do that. You know, we're going through a really hard time. Let, let's do something nice. Let's get in some food or whatever it might be. But actually thinking, you know, switching that on and saying, actually, this is an opportunity for me to really help them, not just say thank you and we, we care about you, but actually demonstrate it in the choices that you're making. Yeah, yeah. I mean, talking uh, to somebody last night about meditation and there's that amazing aphorism, you know, if you um, think you're too busy to meditate for 10 minutes a day, you need to do it for at least 20 minutes. And it, it's the, the same thing around food as well. You know, if you think you're too busy to cook, that is exactly the kind of time that you need to eat decent, wholesome food and you need to find a way to organize your life so that you've got the time to produce that because everybody knows broadly speaking what they're supposed to eat don't they you know mm. they, they all know more fruit and vegetables less sugar and fat and it's like it's not rocket science is it but most people don't do it not because they don't want to or because they're not motivated to a big part of it is they're just not organized enough they don't set aside the time so they get to six o'clock on wednesday evening and think what am i going to have for dinner and if you're worrying about what to have for dinner at six o'clock on a wednesday evening it's going to be just eat isn't it <laughs> you're going to tap some sort of app um, and it will end your hunger, but it won't feed you, will it? It won't nourish you in any way. No, that's a big one for me. So I take it that what you're saying to me is, Mel, you need to get more organised. Is there anything else that you would advocate? Oh, yeah. I mean, there's, there's tons of stuff I would advocate, but I, I just want to like hammer home that organisational point because... I, I ran a podcast for, for a little while. And one of the things that I noticed doing it is you need to be quite systematic about it, don't you? You need to be yeah. pretty organized. You need to have a plan. And that is the, the thing. Most people do not have a plan for cooking. And that, I think, just 
you know, makes makes a massive difference. You're going to eat 21 times a week. You've got to have a plan. And I see so many people. It's just like, oh, it's uh, 12.57. Better run to Lidl and see what I can find for lunch. And it's like, oh, yeah, it did come as a bit of a surprise that they were going to have lunch today. I wasn't expecting it either. So personally, I uh, always invest a couple of hours on Sunday into cooking and I batch cook. If I'm really motoring, I can make enough food to feed the three of us. It's my wife and my daughter and myself. Uh, lunches and dinners until Thursday. Just investing a couple of hours Sunday afternoon. Fantastic. And how much time does that actually save me? Yeah, it's a, a particularly worthwhile investment because I'm going to go. Oh, it's Friday today, isn't it? It is. I was going to say I'm going to go to the the fridge and there'll be a pre-made lunch for me, but uh, possibly not. Possibly not. Because I was out <laughs> quite late last night. Darn. So there's one thing that I would add to that, and I'm just thinking about myself in in that moment is that because I am quite an organised person, and when I'm in the moment I will think about my food and I plan it and but it, but it's not always there but I think that sometimes as well it's about a choice which goes back to what you were saying about the mind isn't it is that I know what I need to do I possibly have the items in my fridge that I need to do them but I choose not to okay choice is a very interesting word there I'm going to I'm going to park that one for a moment. I okay. two, thing, two things about willpower, which you, you may well already know. But if you've heard of Roy Baumeister, you you certainly will. So um, willpower is it, kind of it functions a little bit like a muscle. You know, the more you use it, the more tired it gets. And it's the same kind of energy that you're using when you're making any kind of decision or you're resisting any kind of temptation. So you wake up in the morning, you know, you've got bags of willpower. You're all ready to go. At this, I do this every morning. I wake up. I don't think I need to drink today. No, I'm not going to drink this evening. It'll be fine. And then you work out what you're going to wear for work and you um, work out what you're going to have for breakfast and you work out what bus you need to catch. And all of these things, you know, you're making decisions. You're thinking about them. So that's that's just lowering your 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 willpower a little bit a little bit a little bit and then you get to work and then you have to actively use your willpower to go through that mountain of emails rather than spend all morning on facebook and you know that's depleting your willpower more and it goes on throughout the day you make decisions you resist stuff you make decisions you resist stuff it gets slightly weaker and weaker and weaker and weaker until you get to the evening and that is pretty much when your willpower is at its lowest and that's the point where you think right Shall I make that rather complicated but, but quite tasty and very healthy dinner that I'd planned for myself? Or shall I hit that Just Eat app? And that's at the point where literally your willpower is at its lowest. And it's the other reason why it's at its lowest is because uh, Roy Baustenmeister did a load of um, stuff around blood sugar levels and willpower. And the lower your blood sugar, the uh, lower your willpower. Right. Which is pretty much the perfect storm for dieting, isn't it? If you're restricting the amount of food that you're eating, or if you're eating a lot of processed sugar that's causing the spikes in your, your blood sugar levels, then by the time you get home six o'clock, tired after a long day, yeah, you, you, your willpower is going to be at its absolute lowest. So are you making a choice? Interesting. So if there are people here listening that have the healthy lifestyle for their, themselves 
but they can see a member of their team that has got sort of unhelpful habits, possibly bordering on addiction. How would you suggest they can best help that person? That is a that is a really good question. One I get asked a lot, and I always end up criticizing my mum, which I know is not a bad, it's not not a good thing, is it? I mean, I love my mum and everything, but when I used to smoke, my mum would just give me so much grief about it. And I get where she's coming from, you know. You she comes at it from a point of love, you know. Mm-hmm. She loves me and she does not want me to kill myself. Ergo, she wants me to stop smoking. So she goes at it the way she goes at pretty much in life which is fairly full tilt and slightly aggressive and you know I think you can probably recognize that you you know you've seen that kind of like people being a bit over the top about telling people what they should and shouldn't eat or drink or smoke all of that kind of stuff and it's, it's quite a natural reaction and I get why people do that but the thing is that does not help that makes it worse because if you say to somebody who has an issue with with alcohol that you think it's going to kill them, then you're going to make them scared. And what do people who have a problem with alcohol do when they're scared? They drink, (laughs) exactly. Uh, And the same with smoking, drugs and food. You know, if you make somebody uncomfortable, they're going to comfort (laughs) eat. So, yeah, so I think the first most important thing you can do is not to make it any worse. And to recognise that while... You know, most people come at it from exactly the right point of view. They come at it with the best of intentions. They do often often make it work. So so spend a little time thinking about it and making sure that you're reacting in the right kind of way. And then what can you do in the right kind of way? Well, I meet a lot of people and they sort of what they need really more than anything else is almost permission to stop kind of thing they need to know that they don't have to do it so if you can show them examples of people who have come through the other side of the similar sort of problem that they're having that I think is the strongest thing that you can do and I mean there's you know I'm not alone I'm very lucky there are a lot of people in in the kind of space that I'm in who are standing up and showing you that you can live your life in a different way and uh, you know that's important Uh, that's inspirational you know, showing people there is a, is a different way, trying to understand it a little bit more, you know, particularly if it's a family member, then you probably want to grab some books, read a, read a few good books. Um, there's this fantastic one by this guy called Duncan Bascaran Brown called Get Over Indulgence. That's always worth a read. And it's quite short, I've heard as well. So that's pretty good. But there are a lot. Annie Grace wrote a fantastic book called This Naked Mind about alcohol, which will help you understand alcohol a lot more. William Porter, Alcohol Explained, is very good. Alan Carr, not the comedian, the world famous addiction expert. He wrote a lot of very good books about everything, literally from smoking to cocaine to mobile phones to sugar. So, um, I mean, if you like books, grab some books. If you like audiobooks, grab some audiobooks. You hit YouTube, just get some information, get a little bit of uh, an understanding of the issue. And, um, you know, just remember to be gentle, but try and point people in the right direction, show them that there is help out there. Yeah. Uh, particularly if it's in a work setting, you know, you're going to have an employee assistance program, aren't you? Yeah. And they're going to have, they're going to have something. And I have a method that I use. I have opinions about that method, but the most important thing is that people do something. Yeah. Cause you know, the, the very worst thing to, 
to do is just keep doing what you've always been doing. Yeah. And I, I think as you were talking there, the other thing that came up for me quite strongly is not to judge people as well because I think there's always a backstory and I think you know you doing the work that you do me doing the work that I do there's always a backstory as to what is driving that and yet as you say you know it's maybe coming from a good place or we don't even recognize it but we're criticizing that not understanding that actually what's going on is much deeper than that very often yeah yeah, there's a, a neurologist that I quite like, Mark Lewis, who um, had a massive drug problem and uh, sorted himself out. And then once he got sober, he became a neurologist to try and understand what happened to him, which is like, ah, it's just sweet. Uh, and he's written, actually, The Biology of Desire is a very good book as well, if you wanted to uh, stick that on your reading list. This really is like a, a course at university, isn't it? <laughs> reading list that everything we could start a program on this a two-year degree or postgraduate diploma yeah absolutely oh yeah i love to be a postgraduate diploma yeah, absolutely it's complicated stuff um anyway the thing that i really like about mark lewis is he said that addiction is a house with many doors and that i think that's a beautiful phrase but what you've got to remember is there's lots and lots of different ways in it and i have met a lot of people who've come into that particular house and uh they're all different. They're all so different. I mean, I was working last week with somebody who enormously successful city uh, banker, huge money, cocaine, wine, cigarettes, the, the works kind of thing. Uh, that probably goes a little bit with the lifestyle, I suppose. But a hugely successful, incredibly dedicated, incredibly focused person, the kind of person that you would look at and think that they just dripped willpower. And they did, you know, it's like everything else in their life completely under control. But the one thing they couldn't get any control of was alcohol, drugs, cigarettes. And that's, you know, why I'm always a little bit wary of the word choice. Interesting. Yeah. I use the word choice quite a lot. So that gives me food for thought. Thank you. I mean, just such fascinating. And we could go on and on and on and I could chat to you all day. But we need to move on. So, you know, I've got two questions for you that bring you into, into my world for a moment, the, the mad fish climb trees world. So, and I'm guessing that there's, you have lots and lots of examples of this, but when have you had to dive deep and what impact did that have on you? Well, I'm just in the process of writing another book. And I, I had one of those moments of extreme realization where I'd just written something about Mark Lewis, the rock and roll neurologist, drug addict and neurologist. And I get a little bit further down the manuscript and I start talking about Judith Gissel. And it's like, yeah, she used to have a drug problem and she became a neurologist. And I'm like, damn, I think I read too much. Uh, so that I think is something that I've done since since I got my life back into a better place is I have just been on this massive deep dive into trying to understand it. And it is, it's just the most fascinating stuff because you get into all of these really interesting areas of neurology and psychology and, uh, you know, the way people work. It's very, very fascinating. And I actually often encourage people to do that. You know, I, I think the mistake a lot of people make is they stop doing something, you know, they stop drinking, they stop eating junk food, whatever. And then they think, well, that's, that's one and done, isn't it? And they never make any kind of progress beyond that. And what I've found with life is if you're not actively moving forward, 
you end up sliding backwards because there's no real point where you can ever find any kind of stillness, can you? I mean, yeah, you, you can find moments of it, but you can't stand still. You're either moving forward or you're going to end up slipping back. And that's one of the great ways, I think, that a lot of people do find to move forward is to take this like huge deep dive into understanding and to, you know, realise that you can quote at least two neurologists who used to be drug addicts. <laughs> I love that in terms of, I suppose it's like about looking at others in order to develop your own learning. And that for you is diving deep. So brilliant. Thank you. So when have you felt like a fish that climbed a tree? That, that is a fantastic question. And uh, one I hope you've trademarked. <laughs> so I'm going to interpret that to be kind of like pushing myself out of my comfort zone, which is something that I rather reluctantly do. I guess it's one of those things where you sort of sign up for it in the morning when you've got a ton of willpower and then it comes around in the evening and, and you're not feeling quite so strong. So the other day, um, Percha Kucha, have you heard of that? Yeah. Have I just, I think I've murdered the way you're supposed to say it, but it's a Japanese thing where you get 20 slides and you get 20 seconds for each slide. And, you know, as somebody who's spoken on many stages, you know, spoken across the world, thousands and thousands of people. But I normally think, you know, I would do like 30 minutes is short, you know, but this was six minutes, 40 seconds, you know, 20 seconds for each slide. And it was like that was pressure. And it was great because it was doing something that I normally do. And it just taken me completely out of my comfort zone. Um, but the best time I ever got out of my comfort zone was, I think, the first time I went to a bar sober. And, uh, you know, it was like uh, the world had told me that I could only have fun drinking. Uh, and yet I'd, I'd turned up somewhere where everybody else was drinking and planning not to drink. And I had a whale of a time. It was fantastic. And, you know, that realisation, that was the, the thing, you know, you kind of getting to the height, getting to the top of the tree was realizing that, um, you know, I thought I was out of my comfort zone, um, uh, but my comfort zone really wasn't that comfortable. Yeah, I love that. And, and that's so clearly about standing in your own power, isn't it? And doing what is right for you, irrespective of what everybody else is doing and adhering to peer pressure and all of those things. So yes, yeah. somebody that we both know, Antoinette Dale Henderson, I was with her last night and she was talking about power and so much of what she said made me think, you know, that I, I spent so much of my life robbing myself of that power um, thinking actually that drinking made me strong, that it made me powerful, that it made me a real man, you know, but, in actual fact, it was robbing me of my power. It was not allowing me to express it in its, its true form. Yeah. Thank you. What a fascinating, fascinating conversation. So if people want to find out more, get in touch with you, find out how they can get hold of your book, which obviously I'll put that in the show notes. How can they do that? So you can go to getover.co.uk and you can get the first chapter for free, PDF or audio, whatever your poison is. Um, and you can find the book on Amazon. It's on Audible, Kindle, paperback even. Wow, I know how, how old fashioned. Uh, and if you can spell Baskaran, you can basically find me okay. So long as you put Baskaran Brown into Facebook or Google or LinkedIn, you 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 will find me. You've just got to remember there's an H in Baskaran. Yeah. 
a silent H. A silent so all of those links will go in the show notes for people. So Perfect. thank you. it just leads me to say thank you so much. I've enjoyed this conversation. It has been honest. It has been fun. It has been heartwarming. You've absolutely delivered for me. So thank you very much. Oh, it's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. It's, yeah, it's been fun. I've enjoyed it. Fab. So what final words of wisdom would you like to leave people with today? So the thing that I really want to get across the world, I would love everybody to know is that you are enough. You, know, you don't need alcohol. You don't need sugar. You don't need cigarettes, drugs. Heck, you don't even need your mobile phone. You are enough. You are entire. You are complete. You are whole. You do not need any of these things. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Dive Deep, Climb High podcast with me, Mel Luizu. To help build our community of leadership listeners, please leave me an Apple Podcast five-star review. Remember, our fishy adventure doesn't have to end here. Connect with me on LinkedIn, Instagram and Twitter. Links are in the show notes. Dive deep, climb high, can-do leadership in a world of can't.